Brilliant. It's lovely to be with you, everybody. I'm Claire, part of the team here, and it's um, really good to speak on this little series. And uh, the title of tonight is The Five P's of Discipleship, which is a bit of a strange title. On to that later. First of all, this. Um, uh, last summer, a lady called Barbara, Barbara Dadswell, went for a walk. Now, she decided to go for a walk with her dog um, on a well-known dog walking trail, and it was one that she'd done many times before, and it was going to take about two hours. And uh, so she prepared herself by taking some bottles of water, which she packed into her little dog Riley's coat. He is, it had a little carrier in it. And off they went for a two-hour walk. And along the trail, at a, at a particular point, she went to have a look down at the river that was kind of um, winding its way through the trail. And she slipped on a wet log... And she heard an audible snap, and she broke her leg. And as she fell down and snapped her leg, she slipped down the side of the riverbank, actually down into a ravine that was, and just disappeared out of sight. And uh, she landed at the bottom in absolute agony, in a dark place with the the water rushing by her. And she was completely hidden from the trail. And the trail was kind of a bit in the middle of nowhere. And after a while of agony and shouting and screaming, she realized something. She realized that she was completely on her own. And it was completely dark uh, where she was. And no one could see her. And she just had this thought. You're going to, do you want to die She thought, do you want to die here? Because you're going to have to do something because no one knows you're here and no one is coming to get you. What are you going to do? And in this moment of realization, she kind of, um, you know, just tried to gather herself together and she, she basically spent the next 18 hours painfully dragging herself up the side of this valley back up towards the track and when she got nearer to the track she sent her little dog Riley there's a picture of Riley the dog coming up here he is sweet yeah I know dog lovers everywhere Um, Riley barked his little head off and basically a runner came by a lone runner eventually came by and um, and alert and, and sort of alerted the police and she got rescued and everything But, you know, wilderness experts say that 90% of people who get stuck in the wilderness and come into that kind of trouble like Barbara did are day trippers. People who have gone out thinking, this is just a short walk. I don't need to worry too much. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. And um, the trail is fairly easy. And so I don't need to worry too much. I don't need particularly to have you know, any shelter for the night or anything like that. I just need a little bit of water to keep me going. 90% of the people who get stuck are day trippers. And we've been asking this question, why is following Jesus hard? Because it is hard. And um, if you're not finding it hard, there's some questions over why that would be. But most of us probably do find it hard. Listen to this little quote by um, somebody here. There are lots of things easier than following Jesus. Eating pie, for instance, 
watching Netflix, surfing Facebook, grumbling about taxes and the government, shopping, drinking, gambling. Sometimes I think everything is easier than following Jesus. And that's why more people believe in God than actually live a Christ-focused, spirit-filled, God-fearing life. I don't know how you relate to that quote, but I just thought, you know, that's so true. It's not that difficult to believe in God. It isn't. Most people do believe. Most people have some kind of sense that there's something else out there. That's not that difficult. But it is difficult not giving up, not going off course. Not, it's difficult holding true to your original intentions. I don't know if you're somebody here who's been on the track for a long time. You're kind of like an old sort of seasoned hiker and you feel like I've done all of this before, but maybe you're aware that you're not fully, um, you're not fully in the place that you were when you started. You're not quite so determined to live wholeheartedly for God. Maybe you're the other end of the thing and you're just beginning and you're thinking, hang on, what do you mean easy, um, hard? It's not that hard. It's kind of like just go along to church, you sing a few songs. Well, I'm sorry, but it's just not going to, it's after a while. And most of us find out that it is actually hard to hold onto that original intention And most people who are followers of Jesus at some point find themselves in hostile terrain, in wilderness experiences, in times when their faith is contested and challenged. And we say, why is it so hard? And actually what we're doing in this series, we're trying to to give you some tools, like Dave said, to try and help us to follow Um, even when the going gets tough. So we're going to read a bit of the Bible now. It's probably not what you most obviously would think of as tools for wilderness survival, but we're going to start in the book of Acts where Peter has just preached the sermon of his life. In fact, it's his first sermon, and it's probably really the only one that really looks like a sermon in the whole of the book of Acts from Peter. And, well, 3,000 people have been converted, so quite a good success rate on that particular one. And we're just going to read just from the end when all these people have started to realize. Peter basically says to them, you executed the Son of God. And they're shocked. So this is where we're going to read from Acts chapter 2. And Peter is saying, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders uh, performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So <clears throat> Peter has just preached this sermon and he's brought this crowd of people to this shocking conclusion and they're, they just, they're cut to the heart, they say, and they say, what on earth shall we do? And really, that's in the, in the next, it's interesting when a big moment happens in Scripture, what happens next? And what happens next is a description of the birth of the early church. It's fascinating. And they give this little pen portrait of what these early believers behaved like, how they gathered and the sorts of things they did. And you've got to remember that, you know, the early church isn't just these disciples and the few that had been with Jesus. It must have meant that these 3,000 people were suddenly, some of them would have been having to be accommodated and incorporated into this early church, and it begins to describe their behaviors. So um, what we're going to do now is go through five P's. Now, these P's have not come from me. They have come from somebody, somebody's wisdom at some point. Five ways of, um, of discipleship that are helpful tools to survive. And this is my subtitle for this talk, is how to survive in the wild. These are the tools for living a wilderness experience and for going through life with all its ups and downs in the terrain. And there's going to be some homegrown wisdom in this little talk from some people who are sitting here this evening. So the first P is practical teaching. That was one of the things that comes out of this little passage is that they devoted themselves to listening to the apostles' teaching. And of course, you know, if you're in new and hostile terrain, if you're going somewhere where you don't really know what to do next, you need a map. And you don't need a general map, you need a local map. You need a map from people who, have, who know what to do and know what it's like to live this life. And this is what happens in the early churches. They begin to gather around the teaching of these men who had been with Jesus. And these men and women were prepared to live their lives and die for Jesus and die for the early church, they had literally given themselves in sacrifice. And one of the things that we, we just want to emphasize as, as a part of the walk of discipleship for all of us here and for all the church around the world is that, that we center around the teaching. We center around the teaching of the Bible. But one of the things that we do is we do that. We live it out in communities. We have communities, we have leaders that are trained amongst the, the church, and we want people to gather together as a family under the leadership of people who love you and feel a spiritual responsibility for you and want you to thrive. And that is something that is really on our hearts as a church, is we want you to thrive and um, I'm just going to put a little quote up here from my husband, Greg Thompson, who's quite wise sometimes. And this is what he said. <laughs> he said, don't just listen to online teaching. Now, this is something that's quite interesting because we're in a place in our culture where there's so much out there to listen to. And I don't know if you're the sort of person who surfs the internet looking for online teaching that will stir your soul 
will encourage you, help you to live the life. And that's nothing wrong with that at all. But this is what Greg has, was saying. <clears throat> Don't just listen to online teaching. Online teaching can be really good and important at times. But we need to listen to the wisdom of people that feel a spiritual responsibility for us. This means not just random people whose voice you like the sound of, but the people that know you and can encourage and challenge you. And so what we're hoping to do as a Woodlands Church and in our uh, congregations around the city is travel together, love one another, and listen and learn from one another, and particularly from people who feel a sense of love and care for you. And, and there's this, this hope that you would feel drawn into the life of the church. So that's the first P. The second P, <clears throat> the, again, another tool for surviving out there is private devotions. Now, this community, it says they're devoted to prayer. This is a community of people who have formed out of a place of persecution, whether they're an oppressed group of people, the Romans hate them, they're, they're sort of um, trying to sort of keep control of the Jewish people, and they knew this little early church knew that they were dependent on God. They knew they couldn't manage without prayer, and so they're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to gathering in prayer, corporate prayer, yes. They're devoted to worship, as we, we've worshipped this evening. They're devoted to, um, they ask God to, when they're afraid, when they're persecuted, they ask God for boldness, for help. They know they can't manage without prayer. And not only that, the life of a Christian cannot be led without a private, personal, devotional life. And it's, it's, it's easy to miss. It's easy to spend time looking for things that encourage us by listening to things online and, and that sort of thing, or just seeking out the things that we find encouraging, like gathering together with other people who might um, encourage us. And all of those things are really good, but you cannot get past the need for a personal connection with God. So that's why a couple of weeks ago, Luke spoke about the Bible and said, you've got to read the Bible. You've got to get that thing out. You've got to blow the dust off it. You cannot survive without reading the Bible. And neither can we survive without reading the Bible prayerfully, praying the Bible, learning to have a connection with God that is absolutely um, integral to our walk with God. And again, another little quote here from somebody else, somebody from America called Bill Johnson. Um, <clears throat> and again, just I love this quote. It describes his own personal prayer life. This is a successful Christian leader who says this, I wouldn't mind taking an entire week just to talk about this one thing, learning to become aware of his presence. How do you do that? I take time. I take time throughout the day or the middle of the night. Constantly, I take time to turn my affection towards him and once again just calibrate the values of my heart to set my heart on the ultimate absolute. And that is, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Just to calibrate my heart, my values, my emotions, everything, and make sure that I am dialed into the presence of the Lord. Do you want to grow? Do you want to survive out there in the wild? Then you have to develop a rhythm of prayer and give God 
your, the best part of your day. Learn how to close your eyes and dial into the presence of God. Learn how to depend on him. Learn how to walk in prayer, kneel in prayer, lie on your face in prayer if necessary. But you have to pray and have a personal prayer life if you want to survive. <clears throat> so, third P, personal ministry. The third P is that this is another thing that you cannot survive and grow as a Christian unless you are beginning to give away what you have been given. In this little Act 2 pen portrait of the community of the church, you see these, um, the mention of the signs and wonders that the apostles performing and everybody being in awe because it's totally normal when the church meets that signs and wonders happen and that is part of the life of the church and the life of Christians. Every believer is called into ministry and honestly what I think is it's just a true thing to say is that even the the babiest Christian, the first, on the first day that you come to know God, you've got something to give away. And I just want to encourage you to know that the minute you start to give away what you have received, you will begin to grow. And if you stop giving it away, you begin to stagnate. There's something so life-giving about stepping into the stream of God's love and power and his Holy Spirit and giving it away. Now, it might be sharing your faith. It might be praying for people. It might be, as they describe in that passage, giving away your possessions and giving to the poor. It may be all manner of things, but ministry, personal ministry, is part of the survival kit of Christians in the world. And if you want to live and grow and flourish and thrive as Christian, you've got to have ministry in your life. So I was talking to somebody the other day, happened to be my sister. <laughs> Thank you. My sister Jane, she's here somewhere, and um, she's, she's mentored lots of people in her life. Now, she doesn't want to be a leader. She said to me the other day, I don't think I'd like to do what you do at all. <laughs> it doesn't look very appealing. Great. <laughs> but she has mentored lots of people and has, um, over the years. And, you know, mentoring, bit of a mystery. Could you mentor somebody? I wonder how many of you think, yes. I would be a brilliant mentor. Well, I don't think Jane particularly thinks she's a brilliant mentor, but the other day she met her mentee in the museum and she said, I was just thinking, I want to take you to see my favourite painting and this is the painting. It's a painting by Edward Lear and <clears throat> it's, um, it's going to pop up on the screen now. This painting is a, her favourite painting. It's in the museum and her mentee said, oh, that's funny because I was looking at that the other day. And Jane said, yeah, let's just go and sit in front of it. And she said, where do you see yourself in this painting? In your relationship with God, your Christian journey. And they talked for a little while, and then they prayed there in the museum. And that was the end. That was the end of their little mentoring session. Could you do something like that? Because that is it's as easy as handing on. Some, uh, your faith can be as easy as that. So this is a little quote from my very wise sister. Maybe we need to debunk the mentoring myths. I think a lot of people don't believe they're qualified to mentor. They look at leaders and they think they have to be like that or they don't want to be. But the best thing about mentoring is that you have to be yourself. The treasure you found along your journey is what qualifies you. So it's completely different for each person. 
That's what you have to share. It makes us fellow pilgrims looking for Jesus together. Could you mentor somebody? I think 25 people in this room this tonight could decide to mentor somebody. And maybe you feel like, well, I need a mentor first. That's fine. That's something that we want to really encourage in this church. But personal ministry is, it could be that you're being called into some form of ministry. And this could be as simple as mentoring. Fourth one is providential relationships. Providential relationships, mentoring relationships. And the, I don't know if you've had people in your life that have made a huge difference to you, but you may be being called to, into a, to being somebody who is hugely important in encouraging and walking alongside someone, mentoring them, helping them navigate the wilderness. Have you found yourself drawn into a family in the church because actually if you don't if you stay on the outside it's hard for you to feel that sense of family that's why we want to encourage you to be part of home groups and to be drawn into the life of the church but the community of the church was built around these relationships they ate with each other they celebrated with one another we want to have a healthy family life as part of our woody's culture And so we want to encourage you to relate to one another in a healthy way and to to help one another and to walk alongside one another. Proverbs says this, if you walk with the wise, you become wise. I wonder if you are being called to walk with someone and give some of your wisdom away and help support them in their journey towards God. And I'm just going to finish with... Pivotal moments, that's the fifth fifth P. What are pivotal moments? It's interesting to me that Peter brings this crowd of 3,000 people to a pivotal moment, doesn't he? He talks to them and he tells them that he explains to them who Jesus was. And at the end of it, they say this thing. They say, what should we do? It's just like Barbara Dadswell down the ravine. What are you going to do? Are you going to die out here? Or are you going to do something that changes the course of your future? And pivotal moments really uh, litter the journey of every Christian. I don't know if you can say that about your life, but you probably can look back if you've been on the road for any length of time to moments and times in your life when you know you've chosen something and it's changed the course of your life. That's what Peter's encouraging them to do here. He forces a decision, and it's painful and exposing and a difficult one for people to face, face up to what they were celebrating a few weeks before, the death of Jesus. There are persecuted, downtrodden, hardened race of people, and Peter brings them right to the brink of all of their defense mechanisms and all of the things that they use to prop up their lives and and he brings them to a point of saying what shall we do and I just want to say this to you as I finish is that you're not really following Jesus if you're not finding there are hard choices it is hard to follow Jesus it's not hard to believe in him but it is hard to follow him and there will be moments you won't be able to avoid where he will take you to a place of choice 
In my life, there are many moments where I've been aware I'm going to have to choose one thing and not the other, and I cannot have both of them. And scripture is full of those kind of choices. God's always taking us to choice moments. See, I set before you life and death. Choose life, he says in the Old Testament. There's this moment in the New Testament where the disciple, Jesus, looks at the disciples and whole crowds of people are leaving Jesus because it's too hard to follow him. It's too hard what he is taught, he's teaching them. And he says to the disciples, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, no, because you seem to have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. We can't go anywhere else. And many of us have come to that place in our lives over and over again where we've realized, actually, this is incredibly hard. The choice I'm making now to give someone up, to start doing something. Some of those things I just listed, I just thought, what are the pivotal moments? Choosing to follow Jesus is a pivotal moment. Processing your past, actually dealing with the things that have happened to you can be a pivotal moment. Lifestyle choices romance is full of pivotal moments, isn't it? What you do with your money, whether or not you can forgive somebody, how to respond to all the teaching in the Bible, pivotal moments can't be avoided, but they actually make and shape you as a Christian. And I suppose I just want to finish with that question. You know, Barbara asked herself that question, do you want to die here? I think it's a really good question for us to ask. We're living in a very complex and difficult age to live and to follow a spiritual, a one spiritual solution. <laughs> to actually say I'm a follower of Jesus in the 21st century gets you into all sorts of different questions and challenges. And the question, do you want to die here, is a good one. Because we don't want you to die <laughs> in the wilderness. We don't want you to drift off or get lost. We want you to feel that you're part of a family. We want you to thrive. We want you to be drawn in. We want you to minister. We want you to have relationships that are healthy. We want all of us to be part of that. We want you to die. We don't want you to die. But reality is, (laughs) we don't want you to die. But reality is actually you are going to die. Because that's what pivotal moments are really about. They're about that moment where you have to die to yourself sometimes. You have to die to the things you really want to have. And, you know, there are times in the journey of of a Christian where you come to that place and you, you have to work out, are you worth it, God? Are you worth it, Jesus? Can I even do this? Will I be okay if I follow you? Will you help me if I fall into the ravine? Can anyone see me here? And there's this moment in the life of every Christian, and some of you in that moment right now in this room, where you're working out, you're sort of working out, do I carry on or can I, or do I back off? And very often pivotal moments don't look like that in the moment. They look kind of small, and maybe not that significant, but they begin a process of drawing us away into the wilderness and into a dry place. And so 
I just want to sort of end by encouraging you and challenging you. Are you in a place where God is saying to you, there's more in your Christian life. There's more in your walk with Jesus. I want you to step up your prayer life. I want you to be here and join in the journey of the what of the Woodlands Church journey. I don't want you to look all over the world for teaching. I want you to look here and join with us. Not that there's anything wrong with the teaching that's out there. But if God is calling us to be a family in a time when there are no families, where isolation is epidemic and loneliness is epidemic in our world, and God is calling his family into prominence and to to show people what it's like to be known and loved and walked with and championed together. And often it's going to take this sort of moment of choosing. So I am going to pray for us, actually. And I feel there are some people here who, who feel it is a bit of a wilderness out there, and I feel very alone. And you feared, really, whether you'd be able to keep going and keep your faith in this time because there's too many pressures on you. And I'm just saying to you today that God, with, by the power of his Holy Spirit, is here to, give you, to re-envision you, to fill you again with his strength and to draw you closer into his family and into his ways. <clears throat> and so I'm just going to pray and uh, hand over to Matt and see what what Matt and uh, Amy want to, want to do next. But why don't we just pray? Close your eyes if, you, if you're comfortable doing that. And what does it mean for you to recognize that God wants you to make choices that are healthy to help you survive and thrive in the wilderness? Father God, we just, we pray now that you would meet us in the reality of wherever we're at. Each one of us, we're in different places. And we pray that you would come and strengthen us, that you would speak to us, you would lead us into a place of thriving. And for those who feel like they're on the edge and they've maybe dropped into the ravine, they fear that they're going to die out there. We pray, dear God, that you would meet them there, strengthen them, provide your way back onto the, onto the pathway where they can really know and walk with you again. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Meet with us now.